Our scripture today is John chapter 9. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's work might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, Isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Some said, He's the one. Others said, No, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I am the one. So they asked him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and told me, Go to Siloam and wash. So, when I went and washed, I received my sight. Where is he? they asked. I don't know, he said. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. Then the Pharisees asked him again how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, he told them. I washed and I can see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, How can a sinful man perform such sights? And there was a division among them. Again they asked the blind man, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet, he said. The Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received sight until they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. They asked them, Is this your son, the one who was born blind? How then does he now see? We know this is our son, and that he was born blind, his parents answered. But we don't know how he now sees, and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews, since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as the Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. This is why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So a second time they summoned the man who had been blind and told him, give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, and now I can see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? They ridiculed him. You're that man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. 
This is an amazing thing, the man told them. You don't know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. You were born entirely in sin, they replied. And are you trying to teach us? Then they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out. And when he found him, he asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He asked. Jesus answered, You have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see, and those who do see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked him, We aren't blind too, are we? If you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. So I was reading this week about this thing called the uh, Amsler grid and uh, this is used to uh, alert somebody to macular degeneration of their eyes uh, where the vision gets blurry or dim particularly in the center of the field of view uh, and the Amsler grid as you can see is it's a grid up and down left and right with a dot in the middle and uh, here are, here are some of the instructions on how to use the Amsler grid. It says, it says you have to cover one eye um, and then you look directly at the dot in the center of the grid with your uncovered eye. Notice if any of the lines look bent or wavy. Um, see if any part of the grid looks blurry, dim or out of shape. Now cover the, your other eye and test your vision in the same way again. And then you're then you're informed this or you're told this call your ophthalmologist right away if you notice that any lines or parts of the grid look wavy or blurry or dim and then they show this this picture showing what poor vision looks like and the reason why the Amsler grid is important is because it gives you an objective measurement that you can measure your subjective vision against you see if you're suffering from macular degeneration then you might not notice the, the, the slow worsening of your symptoms because maybe this morning's vision looks pretty much like it did yesterday. You might not feel that your eyesight is, is getting worse and worse, but with a quick test every day, you can objectively determine if you're suffering from macular degeneration. That's today's public service announcement. <laughs> And in our main lectionary passage today, uh, we encounter one person with poor physical vision and other people with poor spiritual vision. And just like the, the, the physical counterparts, if they don't see their heavenly ophthalmologist pretty quick, then that poor vision will turn into blindness. 
Now, before getting into John chapter 9, uh, I want to take us to another passage where we learn that God's spiritual vision, unlike ours, is always 2020. So the story is this, that God wants a new king in Israel. Saul's time is over. And so Samuel goes, per God's instructions, to Jesse and Bethlehem. And he's treated to a Bethlehem's got talent of Jesse's sons. There's um, Eliab, then there's Abinadab, then there's Shammah and the rest. And they all go in front of the prophet. And each time Samuel appraises the son, he gives him a thumbs up only for God to hit all three X's and sends them home. They don't get to go through to Hollywood stage. And God, as, as he buzzes them out, he leans over and he whispers to Samuel these words. He says, do not look at his appearance or his stature because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. First Samuel 16 verse 7. Then finally, Jesse, you know, if you're, if you're raised in church, you, you know the story. Jesse calls in David from the hills and God says to uh, Samuel, anoint him because he's the one. And, uh, and, and we, if you were raised in Sunday school at all, then you know this verse. Or maybe you've learned it as man does not, or man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart, right? Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And this morning here in our boot camp as we continue going through Lent, I want us to pause and understand that what this means, what this verse means is that we're probably looking at everyone around us wrongly. You're seeing your spouse wrong, your kids, your friends, your pastor wrong, your grandparents, your schoolmates, your teachers, your political representatives the famous person in the tabloids, you're probably even seeing God wrong. That person who sat next to you, we're all seeing everyone wrong, mainly because we cannot see past the surface. You see, this verse in 1 Samuel 16 is actually comprehensive. It says, humans, which is you and I, do not see what the Lord sees. For humans see, and you could probably put the word only in there, humans see only what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. Which means that God has crazy x-ray vision. And I wonder as he's looking at you this morning, I wonder what he sees. Not the you that we all see, but the genuine you. I wonder what he sees when he looks at me and he looks into me. So let's look at the various causes of poor vision from John chapter 9. Remembering that our goal in this boot camp during Lent is our joy. And this morning's boot camp focus, in order for us to get to that place of joy, is to get our eyes checked. Because as our spiritual vision improves, our overall joy improves as well. John chapter 9 verse 12 says this. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, this is quite the assumption that the disciples are making, right? Now, I do believe in this thing known as generational sin, in the sense that children sometimes reap the consequences of the way that parents choose to live their lives. And you see this with fetal alcohol syndrome. You see this with angry parents raising angry kids. Ask any school EA and they will tell you that this is a, real, a reality, that family dysfunction is contagious. However, the difference between uh, 
um, generational consequences of sin, which is kind of like the law of nurture. And the disciples' question in verse 2 is that the disciples assumed that this man was being punished for his parents' sin or perhaps his own. And this is easily debunked, because if this was the case, first of all, there's lots of scriptures that speak against this, but also, if this was the case, if we were being punished for our parents' sin or our own sin in a visibly manifest way, then we would all be blind or lame or deaf, right? Imagine if we wore the effects of our sin on the outside so that everyone could see. Would any of you show up to church on a Sunday morning? I guess he had a bad week with the Lord as I limp around with a compound fracture in my leg. You go to hospital with a case of measles. What happened? Well, you know, the usual late night social media doom scrolling that led me down some unhelpful rabbit trails, hence the measles. And the danger is that if we walk around simplistically looking at someone's limitations or their less than ideal circumstances, maybe the homeless person on the street or or the child who's caught up in the system or even someone who's sick or, or who has some sort of a disability and we judge them or their parents based on what we see, then we're suffering from poor vision, which is caused by a simplistic belief in, in, in cause and effect or sin equals sickness. And so Jesus corrects the disciples' poor vision. He gives them eye surgery on the spot by explaining the following. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's work might be displayed in him, John 9 verse 3. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. The second cause of poor vision, according to John chapter 9, is legalism. And just to help us catch up with the story a bit, Jesus has wiped mud on the guy's eyes. He sends him off to the pool of Siloam to wash, uh, which he does. And at that moment, the man's eyesight is restored. But by the time the guy gets back to where Jesus was, Jesus is now vanished he's gone elsewhere he's moved on but this man's neighbors see him and word starts to spread then they bring this man to the pharisees and here's where we see the second cause of poor vision which is legalism some of the pharisees said this man is not from god speaking about jesus because he doesn't keep the sabbath but others were saying how can a sinful man perform such signs and there was a division among them You see, some of these Pharisees, not all of them, but some of them had a world view that made it impossible for a good thing like healing to to happen on the Sabbath. And I think that this particular cause of poor vision is very prevalent in the church. You see, whichever denomination we're in, or whether we call ourselves non-denominational, we can start believing that our way is the only way or the best way to see God move. Here's an example. Up until recently, the Wesleyan Church said this about speaking in tongues. Uh, Only a language readily understood by the congregation is to be used in public worship. The Wesleyan Church believes that the use of an ecstatic prayer language has no clear scriptural sanction or any pattern of established historical usage in the church. Therefore, the use of um, such a a prayer language shall not be promoted among us. This language has now been changed 
to this. If speaking in tongues occurs publicly in a church gathering, scripture requires one person to speak at a time and an, and an interpretation to be provided by another so that all in attendance, especially unbelievers, may understand and be edified. And I'm so glad to see this change that's happened in the discipline of the Wesleyan Church because not only is it a, a more gracious and a wider view of tongues, but it's also a more biblical view of tongues. And I'm proud to be part of a church movement that has the humility to adjust its worldview when needed to come more in line with the Bible. And so here's what I would say to anyone who's prone to legalism or to a narrow view of God, um, or to believe that God cannot work outside of the parameters that you set or that your tradition has set, I would say this to you, that first of all, if you believe that God is bound by your narrow understanding of him, then guess what? You've placed yourself over God, and this is a dangerous place to be. Secondly, if you believe that God is bound by your narrow understanding of him, then in a sense, he is. Scripture is clear that miracles did not happen because of the lack of faith of the people. Matthew 13, 58. He did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. So what you think of God actually can limit him working in your life. So if you have a, a small view or a small vision of God, then God may conform to your expectations of him. He will shrink to fit your faith. And this is a very scary thought. If you don't believe in a miracle working God, then God won't do miracles. If you don't believe that God doesn't heal on a Sabbath, then you will have a God who doesn't heal on a Sabbath. Or if he does heal on a Sabbath, then you're going to claim that it wasn't God at all because God has to fit into your paradigm, into your imagination, into your, into your epistemology, into your way of knowing. Why do you think it is that so few miracles happen in North America? Because by and large, we don't believe that God still does miracles. Why do you think so many miracles happen in South America and in Africa? Because their God is big enough to do miracles. At Gord's funeral this week, I, I uh, recalled in the message that when Gord was healed of cancer the first time around, he gave God the glory. And the faith of others increased because of his words, because of his story, and because of his example. And that's very different to, you know, the Pharisees who were unable to see the miracle in front of them because God transgressed the limits that they had placed for him. He was invisible in their eyes. They weren't able to see what he was doing. And so cause number two of poor vision is legalism, making God conform to your expectations of him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. The third cause for poor vision is fear and faithlessness. So this formerly blind man is standing in front of the Pharisees and they're, and they're divided, as verse 16 shows. Uh, then they mount an investigation, they call his parents in, and we pick up the story in verse 19. They asked them, his parents, is this your son, the one that you say was born blind? How then does he now see? Well, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, his parents answered, but we don't know how he now sees and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as the Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. This is why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. 
So, because of fear, his parents missed out on this once-in-a-lifetime glorious moment of rejoicing in their son's healing. You know, just imagine that you're them. You've seen a miracle. The thing that you thought would never happen has just happened. Your son can now see. He's now seen your face for the first time in his entire life. And yet because of that fear, that moment of unbounded joy is now squeezed into a tight knot of fear. So how might this apply to us? Well, when we see God work a miracle, when we see God answer a prayer, when we see God do something that cannot be explained, do we hold back from telling the story because of fear of how people are going to respond to us? If so, our vision suffers. Last week I told this story, I don't want to rehash it again, but I told the story about how God spoke to me while I was on the toilet with the perfect word for the perfect time. And my faith expanded as I told you that story and my, ju- my joy grew in the recounting. But I was tempted not to tell it because pastors don't tell loose stories. But I'm glad that I did because that story that could easily have been forgotten is now cemented in my memory. However, there are many other times when uh, I could have spoken up about how God did the miracle or answered the prayer, but instead I keep quiet, perhaps out of fear of being seen as a weirdo who sees God in every coincidence, right? We all know people like that. And those are the stories that I forget because they remain untold. So if you're not seeing right, if your spiritual vision is off or blurry or dim, if you're suffering from a spiritual macular degeneration, could it be because you've kept quiet in the past for fear of how people are going to respond to your God stories, to your testimony? Has your vision of God diminished because you are making him small? If so, then the antidote is clear. Repent of your fear and your faithlessness and start asking God for opportunities to tell people what God has done in your life. Look out for them and when they come, grab hold of them. You know, for me, I'd rather have someone who never shuts up about God, even if quietly in my head, I'm thinking that probably 30, 40, 50% of what they're saying is coincidence. I'd rather have that than someone who never gives God the glory who share no stories, who I know that they love Jesus because I know that they love Jesus, but I've literally never heard them give God the glory once. So don't be like these man's parents. Don't allow your fear and faithlessness to squeeze God down into manageable proportions. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. There are other causes of poor vision in this passage. One quickly is lack of knowledge. And we see this in verse number 24. So a second time they summoned the man who had been blind and told him, give glory to God. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. He answered whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. And even though lack of knowledge can lead to poor vision, in this case, it's not the fault of the person, right? It's not this guy's fault that Jesus healed him. When he came back to where Jesus was, Jesus was no longer there. That's not his fault. So not every cause of poor vision is our fault. And the good news is that our knowledge can increase. And in fact, in John chapter 9, we learn that the man goes on and he meets Jesus again. And he knows more and more, leading to him eventually placing his faith in Jesus. And the best way for us to know about Jesus is to pick up the Bible and to read it. Humans do not see 
What the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. Lastly, we also have the pride of the Pharisees that causes their poor vision, their pride, right? They've been confronted with all this evidence that Jesus is the miracle-working Messiah, but because of their pride, they refuse to see it. This, and then this healed man confronts the Pharisees. What a brave man. He confronts the Pharisees, and he says, if this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. Sorry, I'm, I'm jumping ahead there. So, so, so you can do something about your issue with sin equal sickness or legalism or fear or lack of knowledge or pride. And you do this by introducing something new into your vision. This is how you correct your vision. This is how your macular degeneration gets sorted by introducing something new. You see, what happens with someone who's actually got macular degeneration is, is that the best solution is to insert a telescopic lens into the eye. Okay, you know, just imagine that. They insert a telescopic lens that increases the vision. And this tiny little tube inserted into your eye, okay, I'm wincing now even as I say that, but this expands your field of vision. And for the person struggling with poor spiritual vision, if this is you, if you're no longer seeing the world as God created it, if your spiritual eyesight is blurry or, dis or distorted or dark, then you need to insert something new into your vision, and that is trust in Jesus. You see, trust in Jesus overcomes a simplistic belief in sin equals sickness. Trust in Jesus overcomes legalism and a tiny myopic view of God. Trust in Jesus overcomes fear and faithlessness because, because your fear is so small when it's placed alongside a great God. And trust in Jesus overcomes lack of knowledge because you want to know more and more about the God who saved you, who healed you, who changed you. And trust in Jesus can even overcome pride if we allow it, because when we encounter the truth of our glorious God, the proper response is humility. Trust in Jesus helps us see. And as we see in this formerly blind man's story, trust in Jesus gives you the confidence to stand firm against the people who would bully you into silence. It says they ridiculed him. You're that man's disciple but we're Moses disciples we know that God has spoken to Moses but this man we don't know where he's from that's an amazing thing you can hear the sarcasm in his voice the man told them you don't know where he's from and yet he opened my eyes we know that God doesn't listen to sinners but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will he listens to him throughout history no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind if this man were not from God he wouldn't be able to do anything this man's trust in Jesus was based on evidence. The evidence that Jesus opened his eyes. The, 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 the evidence that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he listened to this man. The evidence that people don't heal people of blindness. Only God does. And as you trust in Jesus, you receive the courage to keep walking in faith, even when there are questions that remain. Whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. He still had questions. Only one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. I still have questions in my faith. And maybe some of those questions are never going to go away. They're never going to be answered. But one thing I know, I was blind and now I see. 
And so he places his trust in Jesus and this faith based on evidence. And so these questions, even though they remained, they did not rock his world. And finally, this man's trust in Jesus led him to a moment of life-changing faith. Jesus heard that they'd thrown the man out, and when he found him, he asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He asked. Jesus answered, You've seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. I do believe, Lord, he said, and he worshipped him. So friends, do you trust Jesus? Have you experienced his healing you of your spiritual blindness? So we're left at the end of this passage with this incredible moment as John 9 wraps up with a blind man, though, or through trusting in Jesus, he's getting more and more unblind, while the unblind Pharisees are getting blinder and blinder. Because ultimately, God gives us what we want. If we want to see with the eyes of faith, then God heals us. But if we refuse to see, then, then God gives us what we want. And Jesus says these words, I came into the world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see and those who do see will become blind. This is the upside down kingdom that Jesus is bringing about. You know, the blind man had every reason to disbelieve Jesus. The blind man had a lifetime's evidence that nothing would ever change, that he was stuck in his blindness and yet he trusted in Jesus. The Pharisees, on the other hand, had every reason to believe in Jesus. They heard eyewitness testimony. They saw the man. They investigated his parents. And yet they dug themselves in and refused to believe. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked, We aren't blind too, are we? If you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say, we see your sin remains. Friends, the only way to be healed of your spiritual macular degeneration is to admit that you need to be healed. Because humans do not see what the Lord sees. For humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. So I ask you again, what does God see when he looks at you? What does God see when he looks inside you?